Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, July 1st. And today, Julia Yaffe joins us fresh off her European tour to Brussels and Madrid, where the world's diplomats, think tankers, and attaches, I just like that word, were gathered for the G7 and a NATO meeting, talking about the biggest issues facing Europe and the world. And later on, Baratunde Thurston stops by to tell us what's piquing his interest as we head into the July 4th holiday. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy July. Um, to celebrate the holiday weekend, Julia Yaffe uh, left the United States. She is, <laughs> <laughs> she is in Europe, so she uh, is across the pond. Julia, why are you in Europe? Well, so if you're not a national security foreign policy dork, you wouldn't necessarily know this, but the last week has been like prom and graduation, everything rolled into one for people like us. Um, The week started with the G7 summit in the Bavarian Alps. And then there was a big conference in Brussels run by the German Marshall Fund around the, I guess, 75th anniversary of the Marshall Plan. And then... Everybody then flew from Brussels to Madrid for the NATO summit, which just wrapped up on Wednesday. So it was like, it was a flurry of diplomatic activity and statements, and it was a really busy week diplomatically, but that, that's why I escaped from the US of A. So like, what's the buzz though? Like, like what were the, the hallway conversations like at this place? I'm also curious what their perspective is on President Biden right now. So I would say it's a mix because I think it's hard 
for Europeans and our other international allies to not notice what is happening in the States. And there were a lot of hallway conversations about that in part, I must admit, because I was, I was asking about it and I was like, does it look as bad from the outside as it feels on the inside? And they were like, oh, probably it looks even worse. European allies, Ukrainians were all very concerned and they would ask like, what's going to happen you know, this war is going to go on for a long time. And this level of aid to Ukraine, can, can the U.S. sustain that forever, given our fatigue of, quote unquote, forever wars? There was definitely a lot of worry about not even so much the 2022 elections, but about the 2024 elections. And there's almost a, like a sense that it probably wouldn't be Biden and it probably wouldn't be a Democrat. There was a kind of fear and resignation that either Trump or somebody like Trump would come in and kick everything up again and disrupt NATO and stop supplying arms to and support to Ukraine. So there was a lot of fear about that. But at the same time, Biden and the Biden administration continued getting high marks for everything they've done for Ukraine in the last few months, even before the war started. Like, if you recall, the weaponizing intelligence leaks, which was brilliant and kind of nobody had ever done that before. So it was kind of a sense of like, he's been really good, but we know that this is limited and we kind of have to brace ourselves. Emmanuel Macron kind of started talking about this, about European self-reliance and not being as reliant on the US so much because Trump was so mean to our allies and was constantly denigrating NATO and denigrating our allies. But then I think Russia's invasion of Ukraine really brought it home where it was like, it's here on our doorstep and the U.S. is supporting us now, but we're the ones taking in refugees. We're the ones where the economic effects are felt the hardest, where the spillover of the war is felt the strongest. And so the U.S. kind of tends to go in and out based on whatever administration's in power and whatever how the political winds are blowing. So we have to become more reliant on ourselves. And you saw a lot of discussions about European countries upping their own military spending and figuring out how to maybe do this without the U.S. going forward. So if the concern is that if Trump runs and wins again, that he would pull funding from the, the war effort in Ukraine, is that because people there think his true blue colors are to scale back foreign intervention? Or is it because, do they think he's too nice to Putin? Like, is that, is that still a consensus over there? I think people understand that Americans are really wary of foreign intervention after 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so much blood and treasure didn't give us all that much, which themselves came on the heels of Vietnam and just like a string of what I think Americans perceive as costly failures that had no point. They see, I think, accurately that Trump did not like Ukraine. He naturally empathizes with Putin. He constantly said things during his presidency like, Crimea is Russian, get over it. Ukraine is corrupt and, we, and they're full of Nazis and we shouldn't. You know, like his first impeachment was over Ukraine. It was withholding lethal weapons that Ukraine needed to fight Russia in the Donbass where the war is happening in an even more accelerated hotter phase in exchange for trying to get dirt on Joe Biden. And so that has not been forgotten by our allies. And I think they very shrewdly realize that even if it's not Trump, he has left a really strong mark on the Republican Party. And it was interesting. There were some Republican lawmakers who went to some of these, but 
mostly was Democrats. One thing I want to ask you, I mean, just like scanning what was written about the G7, the, the consensus was kind of a dud. Big goals like climate change, like on the back burner, inflation, gas prices, the war, like this, the world feels like it's now playing catch up. Did they come to any agreement to help bring down gas prices or food prices? I mean, this is a global crisis, yeah. not just an American one. So this was talked about a lot at the G7. They agreed to try to put a ceiling on oil prices, which would, if it worked, not just bring down the price of oil and therefore the price of gas, but also severely dent the revenues that Vladimir Putin is getting from oil and gas, which are helping him basically fully weather the sanctions and fund his war. I thought what was really interesting, though, was the talk about a Marshall Plan for Ukraine. Like that was all the talk at some of some of these conferences. Like the war is only four months in. It's probably going to go on for a much longer time. People are already talking about, okay, how do we help Ukraine build back? How do we create a Marshall Plan? Do we create a Marshall Plan for not just Ukraine, but Eastern Europe to really like bring them up to speed with Western Europe and fully pull them out of the gravitational pull of Moscow and China. It's late there in Europe. And I want to ask you one more thing before you go, though. Sure. Uh, what were people saying about Putin? Like, are people gossiping about Putin? What's the intel? Is he sick? Is he going to be there forever? So here's the thing is that, like, everybody was asking each other that because I don't think anybody knows. And it was like everybody repeating rumors they, they'd heard to each other. It, it was this like circular rumor mill. And I actually moderated a panel in Brussels that included Vladimir Milov, who was a former energy minister of Russia, actually under Putin in his early years, and is a close advisor of Alexei Navalny. And somebody in the audience asked him this because like literally every panel everywhere, somebody was like, is he sick? Is he going to die? And Milov was like, look, I'm still talking to people on the inside. He's fine. He's not sick. He's not going to die anytime soon. Stop with the wishful thinking. Do not plan on that. Get serious and do adult things instead of magical thinking about his health. And I thought that was really interesting because even in, in Russia, there's a lot of, they call it the like, the snuff box plan. They're just like, all our hope is on the snuff box, which is the idea that somebody will like come up behind Putin and like crush a skull with a snuff box. <laughs> very like, very like Tsarist court. But yeah, um, yeah. to hear a Russian opposition leader who is actually part of this very optimistic movement is like, don't count on it. Focus your energies elsewhere. It was interesting. But, but like, yeah, but like nobody knew. That was also very interesting that right. nobody knew. It was, it's become such a closed place that you're just as informed as some of these other people were. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> that makes me feel smart today. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Thanks for uh, going to Europe for work. We appreciate oh, yeah. you. I'm so, I, it's, it's been real tough. I need all your, all the thanks I can get. <laughs> all, right. all right. Talk soon. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Baratunde Thurston on his beat right now. 
What's up, Peter? So today I'm going to talk about the Supreme Court, something that people have been hearing a lot about here on the Powers That Be Daily, because this activist court, they be active. And today they've been acting up on the environment with a ruling that really uh, hamstrings the EPA's ability, the Environmental Protection Agency, their ability to curb planet warming pollution from power plants, uh, which means uh, they're trying to accelerate global warming and reduce the length of time that people can live habitably on this planet. Pretty big commitment by the Supreme Court to, as I see it, uh, force death upon as many Americans as possible. We were going to have guns on anybody in any public place, uh, just kind of forcing people to carry guns at this point, which sounds a little like an argument for defund the police, if you really peel back those layers, because if we all are vigilantes, then why do we need an organized police force? Why do we need a well-regulated militia? Oh, wait. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling uh, in West Virginia versus the EPA, where they've ruled that the Environmental Protection Agency does not have the quote-unquote broad authority to curb planet warming pollution from power plants. This is a, a major setback. Uh, it's a major and important ruling. And I think the way it's been written about frustrates me uh, nearly as much as the decision itself. I'm seeing a lot of headlines saying things like, the Supreme Court sets back Biden's climate agenda. Uh, Biden's climate plan stymied by SCOTUS. No, Earth is stymied by SCOTUS. These are not, these are not Biden's plans. These are humanity's best, almost last chance to avoid cataclysmic, life-destroying, economy-ruining disaster. We've seen the floods in Yellowstone. We felt the flames in the Southwest. We've seen the heat waves in India and Pakistan. And this all gets worse. And the scientists and even a lot of business people now are saying, we have not even a decade to really get aggressive. And just when we need to take more aggressive action, the Supreme Court's taking uh, the federal government off the field <laughs> and saying, well, we cannot use existing environmental law, like such as the Clean Air Act. And Congress just has to be very specific about passing new updated laws to account for these new pollutants in ways that have not been able to happen because Congress is captured by the same industries that don't want these regulations in the first place. So there's a parallel here to what I see happening in the Dobbs abortion ruling where you know, Alito says, hey, we're just pushing this back to the states. Now women can fight for their basic human rights at the local level and use the democratic process. But we have defanged the democratic process and flooded it with dark money and gerrymandered our way to a system of non-accountability. And in this case, we are not really in a great position to expect Congress to pass uh, aggressive climate legislation. We've tried with Build Back Better, had $500 billion as the most aggressive climate plan possible, and that's dead in the water so far. So I am in a very frustrated, emotional place about this because I like living. I'm that kind of pro-life person. I want vast billions of people on earth to be able to live. And this Supreme Court has a very short-sighted view of freedom. Um, and it's the freedom for us to die when Miami sinks uh, underwater and no insurance company will insure your house because you're too close to the coast or you're too close to something that could catch fire. The good news, because uh, I don't want to leave you on a down note and I'm just scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, number one, we've got business who recognizes that this is financial insanity to ignore the climate crisis and invest in things that will fade into ash or muck or worse. Uh, so I hope that this court, which is so corporate friendly, will 
uh, obey the corporate mandate to have long-term business viability by having a long-term planetary home. Uh, number two, we've got a lot of local action happening at state levels. I hope that stays in place, but there's uh, a lot of carbon uh, cuts. There are a lot of renewable energy actions happening in multiple states, uh, red states even, definitely purple and blue states, and every degree we avoid increasing is millions of lives saved and billions of quality of life preserved. So I like hearing that. Finally, this is close to my heart in part because I am hosting a television show on PBS called America Outdoors. It's launching next Tuesday, July 5th. It's like a birthday gift to America. And I saw firsthand a lot of the climate challenge that we face in this country. There were fishing people who couldn't fish. There were crab people who couldn't crab. There were boat people who couldn't boat. And there were homeowners who couldn't breathe because of what we've already done to the environment. And it just feels so insane that our highest court is ignoring, again, the will of the people and our ability to have life, liberty, and happiness. But I saw counterexamples, including in West Virginia, the state at the center of this SCOTUS case, with regenerative farmers and Appalachian coal miners turned beekeepers building economies with the earth and not blowing it up constantly. So my hope still stays on the ground, almost literally, and with the people. And I uh, continue to wish and fight for a political system that reflects that will and, uh, and keeps us alive, just a bare minimum. That's all I'm asking for, Supreme Court. Just don't tie my hands when I'm trying to save my own life. Thanks, Peter. That's what I got today. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.